Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. Well, I have kind of good news, bad news. I learned about something that got me so excited, that Hunter College in New York City, which is an extraordinary learning facility for all the people of New York had a thinking dog center. That is to say, they have a thinking dog center, just like Alexandra Horowitz at Fancy Barnard College has her canine cognition and all these other people that I have on the show that have basically dog science labs. So I was so excited to learn there was one at Hunter College and to meet Dr. Sarah Biosier, who is the director of it. So the bad news is it's closing. I'm so sad about this. Dr. Sarah, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to learn that you have, because it's still you have, a Thinking Dog Center. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about yourself and the Thinking Dog Center and why it existed, how long it's existed, and I guess the fact that you've been tapped to work with guide dogs in California is the reason you're leaving, but Let's talk about the Thinking Dog Center as an entity, but unless you're inextricably woven up with it, and without you, there isn't one, which is sort of what it sounds like. <laughs> Thank you for having me. No, I'm, um, yes, it is a bittersweet time for me, but also for um, our kind of, our, our community um, and all the dog owners and dogs and students that we've had involved. So to give you a little bit of a background, the Thinking Dog Center is uh, a space at CUNY Hunter College, and we study man's best friend, uh, the domestic dog. 
And I, I will say occasionally we do dabble in cats, but for the most part, our focus is on dogs. We are called the Thinking Dog Center. We're not necessarily called the Thinking Cat Center. Right. Um, and we study all aspects of dog behavior and cognition and their relationship with humans. And ultimately, our goal is to increase our understanding of um, pet and domestic dogs and so that we can think about how do they interpret the world around them? Is it similar to how we navigate the world around us? And and what does that mean uh, in terms of their history, their domestication, and also how we interact with them on a daily basis? Absolutely. A good description, really, of any of these canine centers. That is the the goal. And maybe it gets more parsed or more streamlined in certain areas. But it is overall, who is this best friend? How can we be good to them? How can we make them better for us? Those kinds of questions. But did you create the Thinking Dog Center? And with your departure, does it end? Or how long has it been there? I'm just so frustrated that (laughs) we're a New York-based NPR station, and I spend all of my time with the with the you know the thirty thousand foot view of the world and the canine thinking centers whether they're in Hungary or France or here <laughs> why didn't I know that magnificent Hunter College and I say magnificent because it's an accessible higher institute mm-hmm. of learning with some of the great teachers anywhere are at Hunter College which is a little known fact and your thinking dog center. Clearly, you didn't pay anyone to do PR. And I think some of these other places must have paid (laughs) PR because they're always quoted in articles and that kind of thing. And that's actually how I learned of you. You were quoted in an article. I'm like, what? A thinking dog center in the center of Manhattan? You know, 60th and Lex, so to speak. It's like, how did this, how did this, how did I miss this on my radar? How long have you had the center? So the the center is a part of the Animal Behavior and Conservation Master's program, and that falls within the psychology department at Hunter College. And so um, the Thinking Dog Center began in, I want to say we officially opened in early summer of 2019. So we we were open for about four years, and that coincided with my arrival at um, Hunter College in uh, the fall semester of 2018. So it, I've always um, been involved with the establishment of the center, um, one of the founders of the center, and it was heavily supported by um, the Hunter College president and also by our uh, program director and the department in general. So we've had a lot of interest from our student body in expanding our animal behavior and conservation program to include companion animals. At present, we have amazing faculty that study everything from dolphins to elephants to electric fish nice. to horses. Yeah, it just it's, a, it's amazing. But one of the things that they were missing was the companion animal component. And so I got brought in to set that up and, and begin that phase for them. Um, and right now, uh, I say we're closing. Um, it may be that we're taking a pause. It's it's TBD. Um, I hope that at some point in time, whether or not it's an amazing colleague of mine that ends up getting hired to be the next companion animal faculty member at Hunter College, I, I'm so excited for them. I really want to see it develop. And, and maybe it won't be called the Thinking Dog Center, but maybe we'll still be doing companion animal research at Hunter. So how do, how do we outside dog lovers and lovers of dog science lobby? Who do we lobby? Is, the, is it still the same <laughs> college president? I mean, surely you, as any kingdom, didn't you groom a successor 
for when you step down <laughs> off the throne? Come on. I mean, it's nice you have I this know, talented colleague, but why is this person not wearing your shoes or one of your shoes as you <laughs> t- put your foot out the door? I know, I know. I mean, I, I don't really know how academia works. Continue. I know it it works in mysterious ways. But I'm awfully curious because surely on some level, although I don't know that Hunter College depends on, you know, infusions of cash from happy graduates who are happy to get any kind of education mm-hmm. because it's not the $100,000 a year education that so many places seem to be. Mm-hmm. But surely it would be a, an, an attractant to... I don't know, donors or mm-hmm. companies yeah. that could be donors or certainly get you more students if that was on um, whatever the goals were. It seems to me something called the Thinking <laughs> Dog Center. People would say, I want to do that. I wasn't thinking of going to college, but now I will. Or I'm in college and I'm really bored. But that that sounds interesting. Isn't that happening? It, it can. Um, and we do have um, various ways that people can get involved. So one of the ways, right, which you suggested is, you know, through donors. And, and we do have the Hunter College Foundation, which is a place where anyone can essentially donate funds and, and dedicate them to a specific program or a specific entity. So that is certainly one way to kind of help support the college, but also help support the program. Um, The other ways are getting involved with us. So like you said as well, you know, the student body and the really nice thing that I like about the animal behavior um, and conservation master's program is that we actually have two tracks within it currently. One of the tracks is a, um, is the master's, sorry, I should rephrase that. We have the master's program within the animal behavior and conservation um, uh, uh, degree, but we also have a certificate, and that's actually a one-year coursework-only trajectory. And so the nice thing is is that all of our classes, because our student body – uh, they work during the day. They're professionals. They are either uh, have a full-time job or they're animal keepers or they're dog walkers right. or they're, uh, you know, trainers. So all of our classes are held in the evenings no after kidding. 5.30. Yeah. And so this means that if you are interested, even just in getting an education in animal behavior, you can apply for the certificate program. And it's one year of coursework in all things animal behavior, the foundation of you know, anything you might want to know about the field. And you are allowed to sign up for independent studies. And that means getting involved in research. It's not required, but you're allowed to see what it's like, get a taste. And it's a really fun way to see, is this a possible avenue for a career change? Or is this just something that you want to do because you're interested in learning about animals? Or if you're already in the field, whether you're a dog walker or a daycare person or a trainer, having a certificate from the Animal Behavior Department at Hunter is certainly Mm -hmm. a sign that you take it seriously, the work you're doing, because all dog work is animal work. Animal behavior is dog behavior. And so if if you're learning, one of the ways that the really good dog trainers learn is from the other kinds of animals that can be trained that would seem to be less easy. And so the way to train them, I remember my first dog trainer, Amy Sadler, she originally worked with pinnipeds. She worked with dolphins. And the way they train them, which was clickers and other kinds of reward training, very much influenced, has influenced many of the dog trainers in their thinking. Although you would think, no, but how sure. can the two things have anything to do with each other? But <laughs> smart people in your field say, oh, it has everything to do. All learning has yeah. works in the same way because we're animals too, we humans. We just use too many words when we're learning, right? 
that yeah and we do use a lot of words there's that is so many words true. so definitely a person true. could c- get this this certificate mm-hmm. uh, an animal behavior yeah. so that would be an interesting way but to 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 participate and to learn from the people who are already there it's just a little baffling that that you, well it's horrible for everybody that you started the thinking dog center and then along came covid and what was worse hit the new york city i don't think there were many places worse hit so that had to be a real a real game stopper for you so actually it it had the reverse effect for us and i think oh. that's because we have some amazing students um that actually were very creative and came up with ways to pivot and so the, the traditional model of how a lot of these dog cognition and behavior centers work is that we ask, you know, owners to come in and bring in their dog and participate yes. in problem-solving games, right? That's kind of the, the general setup. Yes. But what happened during COVID was we could no longer get together in person, and so we have all, all of our students that are trying to figure out what to do. And there's this great um, sort of, it, it's a field within itself of community science. And essentially, people define community science in a whole host of different ways. But it, it in one way, it kind of puts the experimenter hat on someone who lives in the home with the animal. So then instead of bringing dogs, for example, to the Thinking Dog Center, what we ended up doing was heavily creating guidelines and experimenter experimental procedures that could be done in the home very simply within a couple of minutes, not too long, with very few materials that would answer a research question for us, but that owners could do at home with their furry friends. And that's actually the time where we expanded to include cats because I see. most cats may not like coming to a thinking dog center. Probably go, I would say dogs. none. <laughs> Maybe there's one. <laughs> there's very few. Yeah, there's very few. And so this opened up a new world of thinking about, can we start to study the animals that don't traditionally like to navigate New York City subways? Or maybe <laughs> there's dogs out there that really don't enjoy coming to new spaces because it Correct. reminds them of the vet. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they don't like hanging out with unfamiliar humans. And we're missing all those amazing data points that provide us variability in how all dogs perform or how all cats perform. And so we actually, we navigated through COVID. Um, it was our, our silver lining was our community science approach. Isn't that something? That is a wonderful silver lining, but it, it, it even more makes me think, how come that, that clever colleague of yours couldn't wear the, the director <laughs> hat? And why can't it still be called the Thinking Dog Center? And it doesn't, how much could it cost other than his or her salary? Um, and, you know, you've got the students there anyway, and you've got all these humans in, in New York City and beyond, the Long Island, whatever this is nearby, the tri-state area, who could be reached out to. Social media and other ways would be so easy to, to tap them and say, join us, be a citizen scientist, know. right? I know. Yeah, no, I know. I, I it's, it's a very tough uh, situation, and we're, I'm very sad in many ways to see it close um, currently. But I do think that at some point in time, they will be bringing back in, um, you know, a companion animal person of sorts, or something even cooler, right? Something that's a little bit more interesting um, to people that uh, may not want to study companion animals, but want to do research in New York, like urban wildlife. Oh, um, and, interesting. And, sure. And, you know, thinking about the pigeons that we live with and, and the rats and yeah. the uh, raccoons and uh, even the coyotes that are around. I'm sure we could do some amazing research looking at 
our furry friends in Central Park and in Prospect Park. Um, and they're, they're, you know, just around the corner as well. Okay, that's true. But those of us with dogs say, yeah, 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 real interested in the pigeons, kind of. No, I don't mean to be horrible. It's just, I feel so bad you set it up. It's such a great name. You know, it's not trying to be all la-di-da, cognition, thinking dog center. You know, it's just, it's great. And I, and I just really want to salute all the people teaching at Hunter and all the people studying there. It's such an amazing resource in a world where higher education is so costly and so out of reach for so many people. And student debt is just a misery and a shame on our country that Hunter College can offer the highest quality education. I mean, it's not like a step down from anything. Look at you. Look at the great people teaching there. My sister had to take some geology classes to go on and do art conservation at NYU. And she she had to take a physics class from someone who was like, I don't know, some celebrated nuclear physicist. I'm so glad I didn't have to take that course. I wouldn't have known what (laughs) he was talking about. But there's great, great teachers. So I I just want to send a shout out to Hunter and say, you are a really important part of New York City. And I think underappreciated, a friend of mine started a business school there. There had never been a business school Aww. at a, I guess, it, it, is it technically considered a community college or a local college? So it, it, it depends, right? So CUNY, the system, so City University of New York is what CUNY stands for, um, has multiple different schools, some of them being community colleges, but not all of them. Hunter College is not a community college, but so. there are, yep, there are community colleges that are affiliated with the CUNY system. And so sometimes students will stay in a community college area because it's closer to home. They'll do a couple of years of coursework there, and then they might transfer to a place like Hunter College. Well, I just want to encourage anybody who even could afford something else more expensive or further away to support Hunter and and jump into the very vibrant community that it is. And maybe we need to pick it. We just might need to pick it. We, we want the Thinking Dog Center. We have people with their dogs come and say, please don't close it. I think, Sarah, what you're doing is great. Goodness only knows the great work you'll be doing with the guide dogs in San Rafael, California. It, it'll be very different to go from academia to hands-on training dogs or being part of the training system that sends dogs out to guide people who cannot see. It's an interesting bridge from theory to practice. And you're going to be so great. And I hope you and your lab have an incredible time in Northern California, but that the people in New York can continue to somehow have a thinking dog center. Thank you for having been such an integral part of it and for the great work you'll do ahead. Thank you so much. Thank thank you for such kind words. I really appreciate it, Tracy. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human-edible, ethically-sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. 
They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat.